This episode is sponsored by Linode. Do you need a Linux server for your latest creation? Then check them out. They provide SSDs, 40 gigabit per second network connections, and top of the line hardware to run your server on. It deploys Linux in seconds from the Linode cloud and you can choose your Linux distro and node location right from the manager. They have locations in Asia, North America, and Europe, and they have a sweet set of tools to make it easy to manage it. If the web interface isn't your thing, they also have an API and a command line. So definitely go check them out. They also provide two-factor authentication, IPv6, DNS manager, cloning, scaling, and everything else that you want. So definitely get the most out of your Linux node and check them out at linode.com. And check them out at devchat.tv slash linode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another MyJS story. This week, we're talking to John Daniel Trask. JD, how's it going? It's going really well. Thanks, Charles. Yourself? I'm doing all right. Now, we've had you on a couple of episodes of JavaScript Jabber. One of them was fairly recent, actually. I was surprised you wanted me back so quick. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you also do a few other interesting things, like running raygun.io. Yeah, we actually moved to the .com now, so getting getting big. But yeah, Raygun.com, Raygun.io, they both end up at the same place. Yep. So I uh, sort of shifted from being uh, sort of a day-to-day developer through to being the, the CEO, um, where I still try and uh, fulfill my coding cravings in the weekend. Nice. Now, I'm just going to, for the people who are listening that are interested, you were on episode 154, and that was... Uh, about two years ago, and then 263. And so we talked about Raygun and error reporting and workflow, and then uh, the, the latest when we talked about moving from Node.js to .NET, which was kind of an interesting thing to dive into, especially since we usually are talking about why people move to JavaScript rather than away from it. So, Yeah, there was a good amount of friendly mocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, I mean, it, it does demonstrate, at least in my mind, that there are all kinds of problems out there and all kinds of people trying to solve them. And, you know, your approach made sense for your problem set. And so, yeah, just just interesting stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. I usually ask the same set of questions to everybody. So let's mm-hmm. just start at the very beginning. How did you get into programming? So I started programming when I was about uh, nine years old. Uh, we got a family PC, and so it was a, it was an IBM compatible PC. And I, this was sort of around 94, 92, 93, I think. And, you know, it was sort of the Windows 3.1 one days with DOS. And uh, I remember I was quite enchanted by the machine. I'd always liked liked sort of figuring out how things worked. And so um, I remember being at the DOS prompt and I, I had this sort of, uh, I think it was a book from the library that listed out all the commands. And then I got down to the magical QBasic and mm-hmm. I was like, huh, this just looks like edit, you know, like what's going on here? And then managed to print some stuff on the screen and was like, okay, this, this is pretty cool. And uh, got to that point where um, the way I describe it now to people is I, I loved Lego Technic back in the day you know, cogs, wheels, making crazy stuff happen. And this just felt like I'd discovered this virtual Lego set that had an infinite number of pieces. Like the only thing stopping me from complete world domination at this point was my own brain. Mm 
you know, um, and the 64K limit in QBasic. But that was, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I started, you know, at the time I had, uh, there were two siblings at home with me and I remember my parents being like, you're only, you're only allowed an hour each, you know, on the computer. And I was like, oh man, that sucks. I want to like, you know, I didn't know at the time to be able to like, man, you're totally ruining me getting in the zone here if it's an hour only. Um, and so I started buying the time off my siblings for a dollar an hour. Um, oh, nice. And they, they, they didn't really care because they were like, oh, we'll just play games another time. So I started building a software there and then through my teenage years got into C and C++ and uh, also a bit of Delphi and then Visual Basic and, and PHP ultimately was the, the sort of web language that I started off on. Yeah. So that was how I got started. Very cool. And, and, you know, what you describe is something that I find is fairly common among the people who get into it as a kid. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're all about our age. <laughs> and so yep. th those were the computers that were around it when we were kids. You know, I came to it much later than that. But yeah, it's, you know, I, I had friends that were doing that kind of thing. So. Well, it's like uh, we talked, I think we talked about it a little bit on the uh, JavaScript Java show the other day where I kind of felt like if I was trying to teach a, a kid these days on how to program, I'd probably start them off on on Node just because, you know, you pull down the one package, you run it up, you write some code, you get a really quick time to wow, which I think was really important as a, as a kid to be going like, oh, cool, I put some stuff on the screen. I mean, I still remember I had this program. I hadn't worked out how to write a loop yet, so I literally just copied and pasted the entire program. <laughs> nice. Around 64K file limit. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Boy, that, that takes me back to college when we were looking at machine code and unrolling the loops to optimize <laughs> speed, right? <laughs> yeah. I know this will run at least 10 times, so yeah, I'm going <laughs> to reduce the number of iterations and then, yeah, anyway, cut some no-ops and jump commands. But yeah, so so you get into programming kind of as a kid. Um, how did you kind of grow up into a JavaScript person? So my first encountering of, um, of JavaScript sort of came in the in the late 90s. Like, so we got the internet in about, I think it was about 90 late 95, maybe early 96. And so these were the Netscape Navigator days. Mm -hmm. um, and so I still remember being really confused as a teenager learning this stuff because you might remember at the time there was, they sort of talked about JavaScript. They also kind of just talked about DHTML, you know, right. like that. And then they also had Microsoft going, no, nah, forget JavaScript. It's all about the VB script, you know, uh -huh. Uh, you know, these days you sit there and you write these, these, when you're writing JavaScript and you kind of wonder why you'd actually specify the language in the script tag. And it's like, well, I remember genuinely being like, well, do I want, which browsers do I want this to run in? And I'd been programming <laughs> Visual Basic at the time. So I was like, I kind of know that, but then that doesn't work everywhere. And, and that, and to, to be honest with you, I think I joked in the first show with you that, um, if anything, I'm still struggling a bit with the PTSD of JavaScript in the 90s. Uh, it's come a really <laughs> long way now. Um, yeah. So that was the that was at the time, but even then, you know, that was super basic stuff because you were usually doing some goofy effect rather than really uh -huh. writing a, a heavy front end. I think JavaScript for me really took off a lot 
uh, with jQuery, you know, where you suddenly start to be able to do a little bit more without writing a crazy amount of code. Um, you'd start doing things like, hey, we want these panels on and off. And that, you know, really how we all ended up learning how to write spaghetti JavaScript before all of those frameworks came along. And I think that was an enlightening time for me uh, with, with JavaScript, where you kind of were doing more than just, hey, let's make this text bounce or try and bring back a, a virtual version of the blank tag. Cool. So yeah, so you get into JavaScript, and and then what? So so what what have you done with it? What you know? Did you just work in companies for a little while, or did you jump right into entrepreneurship? Well, I was selling software at, at high school, and so I, I've always been reasonably entrepreneurial. And uh, I also did some you know did, did various bits of work for money through university and I PC repair at university around my own company around that. But I did do three years uh, working for a company called Intergen in New Zealand, which was a, a reasonable sized IT services company down there. Uh -huh. um, and then left and started a company called Mindscape where we built development tools and then that kind of morphed slowly into Raygun as it is today. Um, so that, those were the sorts of, that was my sort of career progression. I was mm -hmm. around the same time as I learned to program. That was when I was kind of going, man, this is just so cool. You know, I wonder if you could do this for a living. And then I, right. I, I remember, I think it was looked up in Encarta 94 and I was like, this Bill Gates guy seems to be doing all right out of software. There must <laughs> be a future in here. Um, and so that, that was kind of, the, I've always been very polyglot though with the languages um, and that's partly just a function of, uh, I can't believe, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old and I would have said about 25 years of programming experience just kind of blows my mind. But uh, in JavaScript land, there's a couple of contributions that I've uh, been sort of connected to. Um, one of them is obviously Raygun does JavaScript crash reporting and also um, performance monitoring, so how long the front end's taking to. But one of the ones that I was quite proud of, uh, we did this again as a company, but um, in <clears throat> probably about, I want to say like maybe six years ago now, uh, we actually built a Visual Studio extension called Web Workbench. And now a lot of the functionality was ultimately uh, sort of brought over to a standard Microsoft uh, uh, extension called Web Essentials, but we were the first ones that actually brought uh, CoffeeScript to Visual Studio. So we built our whole, uh, you know, and had all the syntax highlighting, automatic oh, wow. and all of that. So we got uh, about, I think there's about 280,000 installs of that um, for, for getting .NET developers to start looking at CoffeeScript. Um, <clears throat> I, I personally quite liked CoffeeScript. I, I'm quite liking where I'm seeing things going with uh, TypeScript. Is a bit more of a, a formal, formal specification with a bigger ecosystem around it. Um, but yeah, so that was there, there are a couple of the areas where we've had some sort of influence in the in the JavaScript community. Cool, very cool. Yeah, and I've I've played with Raygun, and I, I was never really a Visual Studio guy, but um, but yeah, I mean, all of these things solve problems for people. You know, people who want to use CoffeeScript with Visual Studio, people who want to have their errors tracked or their performance tracked or things like that. I mean, all of these things are things that, oh, I don't have to spend time figuring out. It just works because somebody else like you put the time in to make it work. I'm always amazed at how much uh, stuff is actually out there getting done. Like uh, you kind of, I, I remember reading, I think it might have been Scott Hanselman talking about dark matter developers as an mm -hmm. example. You know, if you actually add up the developers on Twitter 
and who actually post stuff online and take part in the community, you'd kind of get this impression that there might be a few hundred thousand kind of active developers and it's really close to the sort of 20 million people actually know how to code. Yep. You know, and, and they sometimes are just the people doing some wizard stuff um, that's out there. But yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. What are you working on these days? So today, uh, Raygun is pretty much my, my full-time gig. Um, so that, that takes up a lot of my time. I spend most of my time in Seattle and also flying back to New Zealand. So we've got offices in, in the US and, and New Zealand. And so just keeping an eye on things, I, I don't do as much active coding on our products, and that's probably good for our customers. Some of the recent things, though, that I have, I mentioned I do some stuff in the weekend. So I recently overhauled the way that Raygun does uh, our fingerprinting and grouping for JavaScript errors, uh-huh. doing things like cross-browser grouping because browsers might actually look like they're quite different um, errors, but they're actually the same thing. And that took a lot of work, and that was just a sort of, I kind of knew we could do better and just quietly worked away on that on the side for a couple of months. Um, I still... I, these days, given my time uh, availability writing code, I've been more playing with things where I feel like um, I should understand them and I don't want to be left behind. So uh, I took some vacation time recently to sit down and learn things like TensorFlow uh, because I kind of feel like as not an active uh, software developer, the machine learning wave is probably something that I could quite easily not look into and then uh-huh. feel like in five years that I was completely incompetent. Um, so... I've been playing around with that stuff, but usually it's more that sort of R&D little side things that aren't on the critical path. Um, TensorFlow is also a really good excuse to go and buy a uh, NVIDIA 1080 Ti graphics card and convince myself it was for machine learning and definitely not gaming. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sounds good. What resources are you using to learn TensorFlow? Um, well, I mean, this is one of the amazing things. Versus when I was a when I was a kid, right? Is you just go on the internet and look, and there's there's just bunches of videos and and documentation. Um, I remember, you know, I still remember going and having to buy those computer books that would range from in New Zealand that range from like sixty to maybe one hundred and twenty dollars to buy one book on how to how to code with something, and it was like, oh my goodness. And then now. I can't really imagine buying a book uh, on programming. So a lot of YouTube uh, content has been really good. I mean, Google are obviously putting a lot of effort behind uh, TensorFlow. Um, so that's been, it's been quite interesting. That's awesome. So I'm also curious, this is something that wasn't in the list of questions, but it seems like different people kind of have different career paths. And in a lot of cases, there's some sort of overarching theme to their career or something that they feel like they've learned over the the course of their programming career. Is there something like that for you? Something that you feel like, you know what, if somebody's been watching me for the last 20 years or so doing code, what would they have learned? It's a good question. I I kind of think, uh, you know, uh, that uh, everybody, I, I think when I talk about being a polyglot and not really being overly religious about programming languages, um, I, I kind of mean it out of the fact that I've just moved across so many different ones and, you know, everybody sees these things written down where it's like, it's not the programming language, it's really up to the developer and how they structure their code, you know, it, you, you usually see these arguments around like, never use PHP, well, Facebook uses PHP, but they wrote their own version, you know, and it goes backwards and forwards. And it's kind of like, man, you can make a million excuses uh, for just needing to actually put in the hard work. And that was the... 
I think that's something I learned um, over the long term. I mean, one of the things I was sort of say to people is a bunch of people like, you know, especially grandmas, you know, they'll be like, oh, you learned to code when you're nine, you must be some sort of genius. And I'm like, no, I'm actually kind of stupid in the fact that <laughs> it's more that I would just keep banging my head against the wall until I break the wall down, you know. So that that's one thing. I kind of look at almost every programming language or, or development methodology as, as being somewhat fleeting, um, you know, adopt the best practices, but there's always new ones coming along and better ways to do things. So just always be thinking about things critically and and don't just go with something because it happens to be the flavor of the month. Right. So one other question I want to ask, and this is uh, somewhat code-related, I guess, but you've been fairly successful with Raygun. And I know some people are out there thinking, you know what, I want to go out, I want to start my own company, you know, write a bunch of code, you know, sell a SaaS product, something like that. Uh, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I spend a lot of time uh, advising businesses. I especially love working with uh, developers who are moving into that business sense because I'll be honest, a lot of engineers I talk to seem to have a very poor grasp on the economics of things. And you often see that with the build versus buy mentality. If somebody thinks the answer to everything is build it, you're probably not ready for business because that's you'll never get anything done. Um, I also see people that struggle with that whole uh, starter, not finisher. You know, there's that recursive loop of have an idea, start working on it, prove the concept, have an idea, you know, course itself again. Um, so I like to, to work with people around those those challenges. The the big thing I would say, you know, for all of the noise that we hear out of the valley and capital raisings and all of that, that that is just that. It's noise. No one should really be celebrating capital raises other than the people who go through the challenge of doing it. And that should probably be a quiet whiskey rather than every news page on the internet bleeding about it. It's the start of a marathon, not not the finish. <laughs> um, you know, capital is very much an input. To business, uh, not necessarily the what your what your um, ultimate goal is, and so um, I try to get folks to not think about that. I also recommend in the software realm, um, again, you, you know, with a computer and some free time, or making some free time, you can actually build something fairly significant without any external capital. These days, you can run, you know, you could go grab a um, an AWS instance, heck, you get it for free or, you know, five, ten bucks a month, write some code. The most expensive thing for most businesses that are in software is how much they've got to pay their software developers, right? right. So if you've got that magical skill set, I, I see no reason with things like Stripe um, and your own skills and the cheapness of, of server infrastructure why you couldn't get a revenue generating business created uh-huh. before ever thinking about needing to go and get get capital for it. I understand why hardware businesses need capital up front, but you should be able to build a side business uh, without too much uh, too much stress. Right. Sounds good. Is there anything else that I should have asked you about before we do picks? No, you, you've stayed pretty far from all of my deep, dark secrets and incriminating <laughs> things, you know. <laughs> you, you can pay me later. <laughs> Dude, no, that's that, that's kind of that's kind of everything I think um, relating to to JavaScript off the top of my head. Yeah, I just I just want to point out too though that I mean a lot of what we're talking about here with JD's journey is in in my opinion at least perseverance. And you know there he he had a computer when he was a kid and that probably gave him a leg up learning to code. But one of the reasons why I do these 
episodes is just to show people, you know what, JD's a guy. He, you know, he's normal like everybody else. And you know what? He just went out and d- delivered. And so if you want to learn to code, if you want to start a business, if you want to do any of these things, I mean, there, there's some know-how involved, but for the most part, you know, just get in there, figure out how to do it, and then get it done. Like I say, not smarts, it's tenacity. You know, if anything, I probably look pretty stupid a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know a lot of really, really intelligent people, and they're not necessarily the people that are out there doing these kinds of things or being successful in these ways. It really is the people who just stick it out. Yeah, I think that's good advice. All right. Well, do you have some picks for us? Some things you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of My JavaScript Story, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, so I thought uh, I would stick to the geeky for this. So I have a few things here. One of them was a product that I stumbled across uh, recently, which was something that I wish if when we were first sort of building software products and we needed to do licensing, um, I thought this could be useful, especially in the tone of, hey, maybe there's some developers out there who are thinking of starting a business. And it doesn't necessarily need to be SaaS, but um, we used to have, you know, uh, desktop software and components you'd install and they would have licensing keys, right? Um, so I stumbled across keygen.sh, which is a uh, it's actually a SaaS service that gives you a really nice uh, developer experience around when you need to manage your users and their licensing. So if you were uh, setting something up and needed an easy way to more or less um, you know, license your software and manage it, that looks it kind of feels to me like the stripe of licensing. It's a really nice uh approach to it. So that's uh, one I'd like to give a shout out to. Uh, the other one that I wanted to um, shout out to is uh, my friends over at uh, Octopus Deploy. So I don't know if you come across these these guys at all, but they're based out of Australia. So another uh, sort of South Pacific uh, business taking it to the world. And what we, we've been using their products for uh, just years for managing our deployment of our software. So um, the back end of our stuff, as you sort of pointed out, is uh, mostly .NET, but you can deploy much more than that. Uh, they sort of started out focusing very heavily on the .NET crowd and um, just gives us that ability to one-click deploy or roll back and keep notes and all that. And I just think they're doing a, a really good job at um, making life easy there. There was also something, and I can't find the link now, that was what I was trying to, to type earlier, was uh, I did see something the other day where somebody had written in JavaScript a cut-down version of .NET to run inside the browser uh, around UI controls. I saw it on Hacker News, and I was like, man, that is just, you know, it's like you see there's that guy, uh, I think his name's um, 
I forget his last name, his first name is Fabris, who keeps building all these crazy bits of software and has this really plain looking website, but just does, he was the one that wrote the, um, I think it was the JavaScript sort of uh, x86 emulator inside the browser that can oh, boot the Linux kernel. Like it's uh, it's just insane the stuff this guy makes, um, but very cool. Very cool. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pick a few things that are more along the lines of sort of the the personal quality of life stuff. So I have a book that I've read a few times that I really like, and and I keep going into and out of the habit of doing what it recommends. It's called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And it just talks about having a morning routine and getting into the groove in the morning. And when I do it, I have I have much better days than when I don't. And so I don't know why I don't do it every day. But um, I, I guess that's part of the human experience here. But yeah, so I found a few apps that help me with some of this stuff. And so I'm going to just uh, you know call them out really quick. Uh, the first one, the app is just called Meditation. It's on the iPhone. Um, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they have an Android version, but I haven't looked. Um, and what it is, is I think I had to pay for it, but they then you can download a whole bunch of different meditations. And so I just put my earbuds in and then, you know, I run through a meditation as part of my uh, miracle morning every morning. Um, another thing that I've been using, I just uh, put my affirmations into the notes app on my iPad so I can look at that. But then... Um, I'm trying to remember, it's visioning, so I have a vision board app that I've picked up as well. And I don't love it, but it's nice to be able to just look at the pictures and kind of, you know, think through, okay, today I'm going to do this, you know, so I have pictures of like me with my wife or me with my kids. And so it's, today I'm going to do this, you know, with them or for them. Um, you know, I have pictures of, of money and, and other things related to the business. And so it's, you know, today I'm, I'm going to be interviewing JD and I'm going to be interviewing Amir Rajan. Um, who uh, does Ruby motion development for the Ruby podcast. And, uh, you know, I have adventures in Angular today. And so I kind of can vision through, okay, you know, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. You know, I have pictures of the Mormon temple on there um, and things like that, you know, to kind of, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to be doing these kinds of things. I'm going to keep this kind of mindset, you know, spiritually. And anyway, it's, it's really nice to be able to just sit and look at it. I have a picture of a Ford F-150 truck because I would like to buy one someday. So you kind of get the idea um, as far as that goes. And um, yeah, the only issue I really have with it is that it's kind of hard to get pictures onto the board and their search feature when you're looking for pictures to put on the board really suck. But other than that, it, it works and it's a nice app for that. And then the, the last thing that I'm going to pick is I have a whole bunch of journals. And that's one of the last things you do in the Miracle Morning is you write in your journal. And, you know, so just some journaling. So I have one that I got off of Loot Crate and it's, it, it looks cool. I'm not a fan of the show, but it's a Game of Thrones journal. And then I found this really, really cool, uh, Zelda themed journal online. And so I bought it off of Amazon. So if I can find a link to the Game of Thrones one, I'll put it up and I'll put a link in for the, um, Zelda one as well. But yeah, just cool stuff. So. Anyway, if, and if you're looking for a way to kind of boost your productivity and have better days, um, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod is a terrific book. Cool. I might check that out. I quite like a lot of that personal development stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, J.D., if people want to follow you on Twitter or GitHub or see what you're working on these days, what are the best places to do that? 
Well, I typically use the same handle everywhere, which is Trask JD, T-R-A-S-K-J-D, um, which was my high school computer login, and I'm just, like I said, not very creative, never changed it. So I'm that on Twitter. I think I'm the same on GitHub. But yeah, so that people can reach out to me on Twitter. They can also email me at jdtrask at raygun.com. Always happy to hear what people are up to and help them out if there is a way that I can help them out. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, but thank you for coming and sharing your story. Awesome. Thanks very much, Charles. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.